You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording live from our Podstream studios here in Times Square. Folks, the fallout continues from the whistleblower Francis Hagen's deep, deep dive into Facebook's decision to, you know, put profit ahead of people. As we all know, they've been doing. Zuckerberg, even though he lost $7 billion this week, is still, you know, hella fucking rich. And what pisses me off beyond belief about this continual fallout is one, his bullshit statement that he put out this week that basically says, oh, that Francis doesn't know what she's talking about because, you know, evidently she can't read their own internal Facebook reports that tell us exactly what it is that they've been doing, that they were able to fix algorithms so that they could skew against misinformation for the 2020 election. But then once the election was done, they could flip the switch, change the algorithm back so that people were continuing to get misinformation, spread hate, and do all of the vile things that we know that people are doing on social media. And once again, he is taking absolutely no responsibility for it and feigning dumb. And my question now, folks, is this. Does he think that we are all stupid? Like, this is what is happening with these people, right, who make a ton of fucking money, we know that in order to become a multi-billionaire, chances are you're not doing it on the up and up. Now, I'm not saying that Zuckerberg is a criminal, but I'm saying that what bleeds leads, right? So we know that hate groups, we know that, you know, Russian misinformation, China interference, all of these things are happening and they could do something about it, but at the end of the day, it would disrupt Facebook's profits. Now, here's the thing. 
they're not saying they wouldn't make money. It's not as if doing right and having morals and values would stop them from making money. No, they just wouldn't make as much, right? And so one of the questions that I want answered is exactly how much money would they stand to lose? Like, are they still making billions upon billions of dollars a year? I'm pretty sure that they fucking are. And so the desire here to once again try and pretend that they don't know what they're doing, that, oh, Francis couldn't possibly read these reports and because she wasn't sitting in these groups, doesn't know what we all know, which is that social media also harms young people. How is that? Oh, I don't know, because when you're inundated with images of beauty or beauty expectations that are outside of normal bodies, then yeah, you're going to start to look at yourself and say that there's something wrong with you. The reality, folks, is at the end of the day, Facebook needs to be regulated, right? Algorithms need to be regulated. This mega monopoly that they have needs to be broken up. And Francis has provided the roadmap for Congress to do so. The question is whether or not they will. I want to bring up um, a recent report uh, that all in together, uh, Women Leading Change, put together to showcase the polling, folks. Again, we're talking about 2022 midterm elections, and I've been talking about this because it's right around the corner. We only have but a couple of months left in 2021. Can you believe that? Let me just pause for a second. It is, folks, going to be 2022, meaning that we've been living in the midst of a global health pandemic for going on two years. Like, let's wrap your mind around that. But the All In Together poll shows young people, and I want people to pay attention, feel less motivated ahead of 2022 election cycle. So let me read you this directly from All In Together's page, and then we'll discuss. The nonpartisan advocacy group All In Together has teamed up with Lake Research and Emerson College polling to explore what is motivating people as we look forward to the 2022 midterms. This survey looked at 1,000 registered voters nationwide from September 22nd to the 24th with a negative 3.1 margin of error. The survey also oversampled 200 black women, 200 Latina women, and 200 Asian American Pacific, Pacific Islander women. The oversamples were weighted down to reflect their actual proportion of women. The survey was conducted using a mixed method of IVR online and SMS to the web. Here is what they found. And this is what is concerning. According to All In Together, there is an enthusiasm gap in voting among young voters. AIT's new polling shows a massive enthusiasm gap between generations. Younger voters are at least motivated age group to vote. Only 35% of 18 to 29-year-old voters are very motivated to vote. And only 28% are almost certain to vote next year. Compared to 52.9% and 51.2% respectively of the overall electorate. This is after, they say, record youth turnout in 2020. So here's one of the things um, that I want to unpack, which is this. This is the problem that Democrats are going to be facing as they go into 2022, because you see, Republicans set up, right, the fact that they are an obstructionist group. They don't actually give a fuck about governing, and 
quite honestly, they're terrible at it because Donald Trump within his presidency added roughly $7 trillion to the national debt. Every single time that a Republican is in power, our debt rises, right? Astronomically. But here's the thing. Republicans also don't promise you shit. They don't promise you policy change. They don't promise to make your lives better, right? What they do offer is to roll back rights and to assume to create a Christian fundamentalist authoritarian society. This is what they propose. So you see, folks don't look to the Republican Party for anything, really. But the problem is that Democrats, and Joe Biden in particular, when he was campaigning, said that he was going to be the adult in the room, that we were going to what? Build back better together. That he was going to be the one that was going to be able to negotiate with the domestic terrorists that we call the GOP, and that he was going to be able to get the job done of putting America back on the map. Well, here's the thing, folks. We have yet to put together uh, the infrastructure bill, right? The $3.5 trillion bill. We just reached a decision, right? An agreement on raising the debt ceiling, but that just kicked the can down the road until December. Mitch McConnell did in fact blink. But again, this is not an overall fix. It's a Band-Aid on a broken leg because we should not need to have an active Congress or a vote to continually raise our debt ceiling. It should be something that automatically kicks in, right? And we know that the debt ceiling was raised three times under the Trump administration so that they could spend fucking widely and offer up all of their tax cuts to the uber wealthy. I digress. The fact of the matter is that Democrats are the party of promises. They promise us a lot. And unfortunately, going against the reality of an obstructionist right wing party, they are not able to deliver. So when young people risked their lives and people of color in 2020 to have a historic turnout, they did so not just because they wanted to get rid of Donald Trump, but because they needed someone to take control of COVID-19. Well, here we are, folks, where we have reached 700,000 Americans have died of COVID-19. The vaccination rate has reached a plateau. We have a little bit more people getting vaccinated, but that's really just people getting the booster shots, right? Pfizer has just uh, has just asked the FDA to certify the vaccinations for five to 11 year olds. Right. And to ramp that up so that that could possibly have 28 million more people vaccinated if we expand it to that age group again. But there is still, folks, a substantial amount of Americans that are not vaccinated and the rollout has been mm, up and down. One minute we're told to wear a mask, the next minute we're told not to. One minute we're told to social distance, the next minute we're told not to. One minute we're told that the Pfizer vaccination is 100% great, and then the next minute we learn Moderna is better. I'm not saying that it is not our responsibility as an educated citizenry not to be intellectually nimble. We need that. But the reality is, is that the entirety of the vaccination rollout hasn't gone according to plan, because I don't think that Democrats once again had their eyes wide open to what it was that Republicans were going to do, that there was going to be an entire network like Fox News that was going to be an anti-vaccine network that has tens of millions of people that are viewing it every single day. 
the other reality, right? We don't have the infrastructure bill. And so when we're going to the polls, when Democrats are getting ready to campaign, what the fuck are they campaigning on? Because we've lost women's rights, right, in Texas. Right now, we know that a judge has intervened. The federal judge in Texas has put a stop right on the ban, but that's just going to be kicked to the Fifth Circuit Court, which we know is extremely conservative, and then we'll make its way up to Trump's Supreme Court, right? So what is the likelihood that we don't lose women's rights altogether? And mind you, just let me remind you that December 1st is going to be when the Supreme Court starts hearing the Mississippi case, which is about a 15-week abortion ban, right? Then, on top of that, we can't pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and we can't do anything about the over 300 bills that have been pushed out across a majority of the states in this country to suppress the vote. So when young people are looking at their fucking future right now, does it look bright to anybody? No, it doesn't. It looks like they're inheriting a lot of bullshit baggage from the boomers and down. So when we're looking at these numbers, I don't want us to turn around and start blaming young people, right? Because this is where it goes. If Democrats lose in midterms, who do you think it's going to be the scapegoats? It's going to be black people and it's going to be young people. As opposed to saying, here's the thing, you haven't delivered shit. We delivered you Congress and the fucking White House, and you can't get dick done. So how is it that we're supposed to be the ones that are creating the enthusiasm when we have a Democratic administration and a Democratic Congress that is at a, what, a stalemate with themselves? So of course you have 18 to 29-year-olds that are looking around and saying, fuck this, what am I voting for? And it's not just them. And I can't say that I blame them because again, we're looking around. It has been nine months, nine months into this administration and we have gotten very little done and our democracy is on the fucking line and people are looking around and saying, we can't address climate change head on. We don't have massive legislation for that. There's only a piece of that within the infrastructure bill. But remember, Joe Manchin wasn't comfortable with climate language. Mr. Cole doesn't like us creating infrastructure and demands of companies to, you know, combat this pressing crisis that we are in. He doesn't like the dollar amount. So he doesn't want the American people's own tax dollars, right, to be invested back into the American people. Then you have Kirsten Cinema who won't even get on camera to talk about what the fuck she is for or against. So we don't know. You have her own constituents chasing that bitch down in the bathroom and her deciding to say, oh, this is inappropriate. You know what's inappropriate? Being a senator and not doing anything for the people that actually voted and campaigned to get you into office and doing an about face on whether or not you're going to be a part of our democracy's future or its demise. So, of course, when we are looking at these numbers, it makes sense to me that young people are looking around and saying, what am I voting for? And that is a huge problem for Democrats because they're the ones who, once again, do you know what issues that these folks care about? Well, let me tell you. So the number one issue for women 18 to 29, no shock here, 
is abortion. 13% of women, that is their number one issue of young people in this age group. Of course it is. Because if they can't control when and how they have a family, how are they going to be able to control their careers? How are they going to be able to control whether or not they're able to access higher education if they're saddled with kids that they can't afford? So that's a major issue. And again, what is it that this administration is doing to ensure that all people that are able to birth have access to safe, right, and readily available abortions? So that's another thing. The second thing that folks are really concerned about as an overall, right, men and women are concerned about, 24% of women and 20% of men say that COVID-19 is their number one issue. Well, of course it is. Because all of our lives have been turned upside down. You have parents playing Russian roulette with their children's lives by sending them back to school, not knowing when, in fact, they're going to be told that the school is shutting down or the kid has to stay home for two weeks because of a COVID outbreak, right? And again, we have all of the information, but we are not disseminating it. Democrats are not disseminating in a way that it's breaking through the misinformation, This has been a problem since 2016, folks, and we didn't do anything about it then. So again, you're looking at the issues that matter to young people. On top of that, it is rising prices, right, and increased debt. The Biden administration only eliminated student debt for certain groups of people, and it was those from the disabled community and a few others. That's not eliminating student debt right? That is crushing people. That is not allowing them to invest in buying homes. That is having them live at home with their families, right? And their parents, because they can't afford to live on their own. That, that is stopping people. Cause here's another study that I want to bring up as well, which is just fucking wild. But here's another report that ties in to the fact that young people are not enthusiastic about voting. According to Time Magazine and a recent Pew Research analysis, this is the title of this article. Men are now more likely to be single than women. It's not a good sign. And in the Pew Research data, what they are finding is that men are more likely to be living at home with their parents, single men, and that they're not making nearly as much money as they once were, and that they're not as educated as the women are. You see, because society has set up in a way that men, by virtue, were always going to make more money and therefore didn't need to go and get higher education. Women, on the other hand, needed to build up their resumes just to be treated as equal, and we still are not paid as equal or treated as equal in the workplace. But now this is trickling down. Let me read you this piece. Almost a third of adult single men live with a parent. That is startling. Single men are much more likely to be unemployed, financially fragile, and to lack a college degree than those with a partner. They're also likely to have lower median earnings. Single men earned less in 2019 than in 1990, even adjusting for inflation. Single women, meanwhile, earned the same as they did 30 years ago because we don't have a fucking Equal Pay Act in this country, and so we can continue to pay women less for the same job. But those with partners have increased their earnings by 50%. 
There are some of these are some of the findings in the new Pew Research analysis of 2019 data on the growing gap between adults, American adults who live with a partner and those who do not. While the study is less about the effect of marriage and more about the effect of a changing economic circumstances circumstances that have an effect on marriage. Because here's the idea. Are you going to be actively dating, actively wanting to join your life with somebody else when you are living at home with your parents and don't have a stable income? Once again, this all comes back to our failing economy. The reality is this, that it is very expensive to live in America, right? It is very expensive to go to, to go to college. You're talking about average people raking in debts of six figures for a higher education that is not necessarily going to command them the salary that is going to help them to pay off that debt. So why go? This is why another study came out and said that more men are not going into high, going to higher education, that more men are dropping out of college. Because what is happening here is that our economy is not keeping pace, right? And people are not making as much as they used to. Let me go on to show this because there was another startling issue here that I found. And of course, when we look at communities of color, these numbers are even worse. I'll go on. The trend has not had an equal impact across all sectors of society. The Pew study, which uses information from the 2019 American Community Survey, notes that men are now more likely to be single than women, which was not the case 30 years ago. Black people are much more likely to be single, get this, 59% than any other race. And black women, 62% are more likely to be single of any sector. Asian people, 29%, are the least likely to be single, followed by whites at 33 and Hispanics at 38%. Most researchers agree that the trend line showing that fewer people are getting married and that those who do are increasingly better off financially have a lot to do with the effect of wealth and education on marriage than vice versa. People who are financially stable are just more likely to find and attract a partner. So again, this goes back to what are we doing to ensure that people are not having crippling debt? What are we doing to increase and make certain that we have good paying jobs? I did a debate recently with a conservative right-wing Republican who said, I don't know what this study is talking about because there are so many jobs. I see many job openings. And I'm like, just because you see job openings in your neighborhood does not mean that that translates to the nation. And also, their reason why there are so many job openings in retail, for instance, right now, is because it doesn't fucking pay and it doesn't have health benefits. And when you're living in the midst of a health pandemic, having health insurance and health benefits is really fucking good. So why would you be at a job that pays you minimum wage or below and doesn't provide you with benefits? You're better off not going into those positions. So when we're talking about whether or not people are going to be able to leave home, we're talking about the reality that 
Here's the thing. We need better jobs, good paying jobs for all people, because right now folks are opting out and that's the problem. Folks, I am so excited to welcome to the show for the very first time uh, the campaign director of Kairos, the digital first organizers behind Tech is Not Neutral campaign and the recently launched Facebook logout campaign, Jelani Drew Davy. Jelani, can you talk to us about your initial reactions to the whistle, the Facebook whistleblower, Francis Hagan, and what we have learned. Like, we're, I mean, because I will tell you this, I don't know if I needed the internal documents to tell me that Facebook was putting profits over people and that they were more concerned with making money than they were with stopping hate groups and white supremacy. Um, but what were your reactions and the reactions of Kairos? Yeah, so I'm first super excited to to talk to you and be here about it. Um, I think that, you know, the first reactions that we had as Kairos, as an organization who's been kind of doing this work for a while and both both in the campaigning organizing realm, but also building up organizers to do digital organizing and uh, do it on, on tech issues, I think it was the same. You know, I didn't really need the internal documents. I didn't really need to hear the whistleblower, um, Francis, saying the things that she was saying. And it was reiterating a point that, you know, civil rights groups, tech accountability groups have been saying for, for years and for as us as users have been experiencing for years. Um, and so, you know, very, very appreciative always of whistleblowers, especially from Silicon Valley, because it's very hard to, you know, come out and say the things and be public about it. So very appreciative of that. And and also I think, you know, it wasn't a surprise at all. You know, I think that one of the things that we are all learning, which is really uh, disconcerting, is the fact that white supremacy, right, hate, homophobia, transphobia, all of these things have no boundaries, right? They now have algorithms, right? We have a way of being able to tap into people's worst instincts. And we're using now platforms that were originally, I think, created to bring people together to, you know, bring families and communities and uh, students and all of these different types of people, 7 billion people, right, together, And now what we have seen, at least through the activation of these hate groups using Facebook, is just an increase in tribalism, an increase in how things go viral or what makes things go viral. Talk to us about the tech is not neutral campaign and why it's important for us to have these conversations about who is actually creating the tech, who is creating the artificial intelligence, who is creating these algorithms and through what perspective they're doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, tech company products have real life consequences for people, for real people. And when I say that too, I also want to put a little like asterisk of the people who experience the most harm are also the same people who experience the most harm offline. Mm-hmm. And those are going to be like marginalized communities, black and brown people, LGBT people, um, et cetera. And so, you know, it is so, so important to call out and realize who is making 
these products, who's, who was running these platforms, who was making the decisions when it comes to things like content moderation, disinformation, um, even just the way that the platform is like functioning. And so, you know, the Tech Is Not Neutral campaign that we launched last year, we was really in response to seeing tech companies jumping on this like bandwagon of Black Lives Matter. Mm, I was mm -hmm. seeing, you know, an Amazon um, Black Lives Matter statement. And I was like, that's really, that's really rich because Amazon is doing so many harmful things to communities of color around the world. And so for them to put up their little black square, it was like, mm, no. And same thing with Google, same thing with Nextdoor um, and, and Microsoft, for example, saying those statements and also playing with our lives, playing with our democracy. And so, you know, we launched that campaign to point out the, the I guess, like hypocritical nature of those, mm -hmm. of those um, statements. And then also get people to start thinking about tech not being neutral. So it's a campaign, but it's also a framework. It's a way of thinking around technology. And, and also it's a way of thinking about a vision of the world that we do want to see. We want to create a world where tech works for us. We want to create a world where we are not told by Silicon Valley that this place, this platform, this product is neutral when that's just not the truth. It all you know, sways one way or the other. You know what's so funny is that every time that I hear somebody say something that is neutral, it is almost an alarm that goes off in my head to, mm -hmm. for me to be like, oh, so it's the opposite of what mm -hmm. it is that you're saying. I think that, you know, one of the frustrating points, too, is that we wanted to believe that technology was going to be the great equalizer, right? Was going to be this, this democratized space, the internet, where everyone was going to be able to have the same amount of access, um, was going to be able to post in the same way, you know, and that's not the case. What we, what we know, right, is uh, from, I, I would even go with the content creators on TikTok, the black content creators on TikTok who went on strike, who were just mm -hmm. like, so we're not putting our information out there. I follow so many sites who are talking about white supremacy and they're having their content pulled down as hate speech. And they're the, and they are talking about the harms of white supremacy and how it is spreading. And yet they are the ones that are being um, blocked or banned or having their accounts disabled. How do you think that we deal with those issues? The fact that, you know, we're looking for Congress, right? I, I think that the whistleblower has laid out a, a kind of, you know, trail of gingerbread crumbs, right? Uh, for them to develop a case, right? Against Facebook. But it's like, do they even understand what algorithms are? Do they even understand what needs to be regulated? And if, if Kairos, if your organization had it their way, what are some ways in which we would ensure that the internet is free, that it is democratized, that people are safe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think the whistleblower definitely laid out a bunch of ways. And I think this this moment in time is a bit different because we've now seen from January 6th to now all the Wall Street Journal files, the whistleblower, how Facebook and, and, and technologies like Facebook are like harming our, our children, our society, our democracy, you name it, they're touching it. And I think that, you know, this is both, this is both a Congress issue and 
a way where users can also have power. And so I think about it, I think, okay, the campaign we're running now, the Facebook blogout is really getting users to harness their own power, to realize their own power as people who make Facebook and Instagram run. Like those are our engagement, that's our data that they're using to make more money. And if we take that away, then they stop making money and therefore we can demand the things that we want from them. Users are also the same people as constituents. And so lawmakers, I think, also need to realize that users are constituents. And so they need to listen to the things that we are saying and listen to the harms that we are laying out that you know places like Facebook have, have um, done to us. And as far as like, you know, do they even know what to regulate? Do they, do they know what algorithms are? I think we've come a long way since I've started this work and the hearings and the kind of like memes that have come out and the, the interesting quotes that have come out of those hearings. Um, and I think we still have a way to go. And I think that, you know, lawmakers need to start also listening to groups like Kairos and, and our partners where we're saying like, here are the things that we want to see from you. We wanna see, you know, better things on privacy like protecting children, like we saw in the hearings this week. Um, and just being able to regulate technology in Silicon Valley in a way that doesn't take everything from people in the way that it is right now. We experienced a blackout of sorts, right? When Facebook went down, then taking down with it all of the entities in which they have gobbled up and own three and a half billion people were affected. Now, we have the, you know, the jokes that people in the United States make about, oh, well, I guess I'll just get more work done today because I can't scroll through Instagram and, you know, like, oh, look at me, like I'll clean my house or there were a bunch of babies that were being born because, you know, nobody had anything else to do with their time. The reality is, though, that globally, for instance, WhatsApp is used as a survival tool for many in the LGBTQ community, particularly activists in very hostile countries. And so what seems like a funny meme to us when these platforms go down for a few hours is life-threatening and consequential to others. Do you think that we have enough of a conversation about how these tools have become utilities? Right. Like it isn't just a a nice to have that it actually is a need for for people that are at risk and for small businesses and entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. So I think the Facebook, the Facebook down, Instagram down moment of I believe it was Monday, the beginning of my week. And, you know, <laughs> I think it was Lord I only knows who knows what day it is at this point, but <laughs> I think, you know, that really highlighted a couple of things. I, I love the memes, you know, we're quick on a meme on Twitter. The the spirit Halloween signs over the Facebook thing really kills me. And <laughs> yeah, it like, it really was horrible for a lot of small business owners, for organizers who use Facebook for maybe their local elections that are happening now. Um, and, and people across the world, like you said, in addition to WhatsApp being like main communication source, also, people open the internet to just Facebook in places outside of the U.S. Right. And so we are incredibly privileged to be able to even go onto Twitter and have a kiki about, you know, Facebook is down. This is what I'm doing, making the memes, all that kind of stuff. But taking a step back, Facebook operates as a public utility, yet they don't, you know, communicate as one. They don't 
take users seriously as, as a public utility should. And I think that is really where our kind of unique stance is, is like, we're not saying delete Facebook. If you want to as an individual, mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. And the conversation shouldn't be like, well, you, if you don't like it, just get out. And if you don't, you know, and if you are on it, then you should deal with it. No, like this is a thing that people use and need. It's a, probably the biggest way to communicate at this point. And as users, we can basically strike and say, you know, we will strike until we get the thing that we need because this is the place where we are doing the things that we need to do. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that we have a, a kind of like, maybe, it, maybe it's large, maybe it's a nuanced conversation about the ways in which Facebook is actually helpful to people, um, especially globally. And that is a conversation that like, it's Kairos we're interested in like continuing to have. Um, and that I think that all of us need to start having. Given, right, how many people around the world, billions of people are on Facebook's platforms, how effective do you think it can be for folks to just log out? Like if, if small businesses rely on this thing, entrepreneurs rely on this platform, organizers, activists rely on this platform, how effective is it to just say, well, we need to opt out or we need to log out to your point, not to delete it, but to log out until our demands are met? Mm -hmm. I think the focus of the campaign is so is much about showing people power as impacting like Facebook's bottom line. And so I think this, it's this balance of we are impacting Facebook's bottom line by like opting out of seeing the ads and really digging into where the how much they get their revenue, which is like 98% um, advertising at this point. And we're showing people power by by logging out. And I think that, you know, we've been contacted by people who said, hey, I run a small business or I organize on Facebook. And that's why our logout is temporary. And that's why it's on an individual basis. Um, and it, we really are going with the frame of like, we make or break Facebook. And so I think it's this kind of this, this balance of or maybe balance a combination of trying to get people to start thinking differently about Facebook and also follow through with an action. Um, and we hope to have an impact that is both, both a bottom line impact and both a change in mind impact so that, you know, we're starting with this pledge now, we're starting with this logout period now and going forward in, you know, two, three, four years then we are, you know, doing more things and we are, Mark Zuckerberg is listening to us or in even better, Mark Zuckerberg's not CEO of Facebook because we as users have been like, we need better leadership. You know, I find Mark Zuckerberg to be nauseating um, on so many different levels, just because I think that he's emblematic of you know, white male privilege and wealth and power personified to a degree that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg in many ways to be able to put out the lights accidentally, as they said, on three and a half billion people has more power than the president of the United States. And that's something that I just don't think, again, people get right. They don't they I don't think that they fully understand you know, the way in which this one person who is beholden to no one but his shareholders and his own wallet 
is in charge of their life. You know, part of the work that you all do is to empower people to have these campaigns that show people that, you know, as was said after the whistleblower came out, that when you have a free platform, you have to recognize that you're the product. If you're not paying for a subscription, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. So how do we continue to empower people to recognize and fully understand in this very mindless facial recognition, you know, space that we're in, let me log into everything with Google and Facebook, you know, so that they have all of my passwords and have everything just how, I guess, just how vulnerable they really are. Because I think that that's what we were shown with the, you know, five hour blackout is that, wow, we're really vulnerable to like somebody literally just pulling the plug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's super important to know that we don't have to actually be complacent with the terms that Facebook or any other social media platform sets. We don't have to be just grateful for the tool because when the tool goes down, then that's what we experienced on Monday. Um, I think the the couple of threads of what you were saying, like one is definitely about data privacy, is definitely about, you know, the convenience that is single click sign-ons, giving my information over to this platform so it can work um, easier, or better, or whatever for me. I think that's kind of a, a false, a false choice. Um, and that's something that whistleblower was saying too, like Facebook has presented us with this false choice. Like we don't actually, we do have choices here. We do have the choice to give information or not. Um, and I think just even being armed with that knowledge of, I don't have to just give Facebook all of my information. That is a game changer in and of itself. And so I think it's this continuous beating up the drum of like, you don't have to just be grateful for the tool. You don't have to just give all your information. You don't have to just, et cetera. Um, with with these platforms. You know, I read a very terrifying article with how, and, and watch a, ter- a terrifying documentary, Coded Bias, on how essentially, you know, code is going to exacerbate our racism problem in, in this country and around the world. But the terrifying article that I read was about Venice uh, in Italy and how they are deciding to deploy Uh, a facial recognition, right, within the city walls to be able to track tourists so that they can deal with overcrowding. And I use that in air quotes because essentially they are testing out a mechanism to create an even longer digital leash where by every CCTV, everything that you pass will be able to have a snapshot. They have tools that are able to pull data from your phone just by you, by virtue of of passing by. You know, we see these little articles pop up every once and again. And because it's in Venice, nobody is really paying attention to the fact that I believe that they are using it as a testing ground to see how well it works in this city of 50,000 people before it is used everywhere, right? Before they decide to adopt it all over Italy in the form of safety. How do you think that we maintain, right, our, our safety but at the same time, keep pace with the innovation that is happening. Keep pace with technology that is going to be used to have us in these digital cages of essentially our own making because we've provided them with the information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's, an, it's another thing around 
around so it's two things there's one thing around like knowledge of the of what's even happening in the first place sometimes that is really hard because you know these little articles pop up every now and again or it's secret and i think in the case of many states in the united states like there's been this secrecy around you know biometric surveillance which is what you're talking about mm -hmm. facial recognition um and other other ways there's been this secrecy and people have found out about it and organizers have actually organized to change the laws that make those things possible. And so there's been, there's states in the United States, I think it's Massachusetts is one of them. Um, and there's, I believe if not California as a whole, but uh, like cities in California who have banned biometric surveillance mm -hmm. or, or banned facial recognition use by police, by cities, um, it, it varies. But I think that is one way that we really tackle this. We get people who are in leadership, we get organizers focused on this tech issue as it relates with things like racism, um, with things like homophobia, transphobia, all of the things that we're trying to fight, tech is like an intersection with those. And so even getting people to think about how do we look at facial recognition is not just a wonky, nerdy thing that's happening, but actually a thing that's happening right now. Um, and, and that goes for all tech issues as well. So yeah, I, think it's, I think it's being aware of it ourselves and doing the work to connect the dots for people and then doing the work to then ban those things as far as laws go. I mean, I just even think, yeah, I, I, I think that it's it has to be a massive information campaign because I don't even think that people recognize what is happening. You know, we're, we, you know, pay attention and are reading the news and are following these stories, but the average person is not. And, you know, and day by day, we are giving away more and more of our civil liberties and we're going to wake up one day and they're just going to be gone. And we'll be inside, locked inside of these digital cages. Please tell folks uh, on Woke AF how they can participate in the Facebook logout and when it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. So the Facebook logout, you can participate by going to the facebooklogout.com. Um, and on there, you can sign up to take the pledge to log out of Facebook. So this just start with the pledge. We're not asking you to do anything right now. But in November, we will take log off uh, days. So from now until November, bring your friends, bring your family, bring your aunties to the facebooklogout.com. Um, sign up, you will get regular communications from us and then join us at a couple of days in November to really just take days off of Facebook and show Facebook, you know, we have power and we know how to use it. Jelani, also tell people who are interested in learning more about Kairos or becoming trained um, in the many programs and campaigns that you all put together, how would they get that information as well? Yeah, so you can go to kairosfellows.org um, to learn more about us. We also have kairosaction.org to learn more about our uh, more legislative C4 uh, activities. And I think I would say too, the two things that Kairos does well is build leaders and strategies for you know, contending for power in this like digital realm, internet-centric world we live in. And we run campaigns like Tech is Not Mutual and the Facebook logout. So if those things are interest of you, um, definitely go to uh, kairosfellows.org um, and then the facebook logout.com. Fantastic. 
Jelani Drew Davy, thank you so much for making the time to join Woke AF. Thank you for the work that you are doing, that you continue to bring awareness to these issues that I think more people need to be paying attention to. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. It's great. I appreciate you. That is it for me today on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.